sins of the early church. Uh, and so I'm going to be continuing that series today, and I'll be speaking from Acts chapter 8, entitling today's sermon called Bringing Heaven. And it's just this thing that God has been stirring in my heart for a long time now, for the, for the past month or two, of, of the church's job to really bring heaven everywhere that we go. So I'm going to, we'll be in a couple of places in Acts, but we're landing in Acts chapter 8. In the beginning of Acts, Jesus says this thing before he ascends into heaven. He talks about the kingdom of God. It says the few days before he leaves the earth, he talks about the kingdom of God, and then he gives this directive to the disciples. It's known as the Great Commission in other places. He says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, Jesus says this, and if you ever wondered, did the early church have problems? Did Jesus have problems with his disciples? Know that he did and they did. Because after he tells them this, do you know where the disciples go? Nowhere. They stay in Jerusalem. You know, it's one of the funniest things. Jesus gives them this great directive. He gives them the great commission. And he says, go and preach the gospel. You, you have seen me raised from the dead. You have seen all the miracles and the wonders. Now the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And I want you to go spread the news. In Judea, that's where they were. Then Samaria, that's the old kingdom that was lost. The northern kingdom. Then to all the ends of the earth. But yet after he says this, as you continue to read in Acts, the disciples go nowhere. They stay in Jerusalem. And they continue to just preach in Jerusalem. And they don't listen to the directive of Jesus to go into all the earth. Now, if you know the story, you remember that Jesus gets killed before he resurrects, right? He needs to die in order to resurrect. There's a sermon in that. And when he dies, he dies at the hands of of the Jewish people that were in power because they didn't like what he was preaching. And so now Jesus tells his disciples they need to preach, so they begin to preach. They're preaching in Jerusalem, and they're preaching the same message that Jesus was preaching. And so they kill Jesus for the message that he was preaching. Guess what they begin to do to disciples that are preaching this same message of the kingdom of God and the Messiah coming? Well, we get to read about it in Acts chapter 7. Stephen gets up and he begins to preach. And I'm telling you, some of these people in the Bible, they're savage. Because if you read Stephen's preaching in chapter 7, he just, he begins to chop them to pieces at the end of his sermon. And he essentially exposes the sin of Israel. He says, you stiff-necked people. Right? Like just, he just goes after them. And so they do what they do to Stephen, what they did to Jesus, and they kill him. See, but this time they don't wait for the Romans to get involved and to do the whole show of the crucifixion. They get so angered at what Stephen is saying that they pick up rocks while he's preaching and begin to stone him. And Stephen becomes what we believe to be the first martyr of the church. And so as soon as Stephen is killed, we see something happen in Acts chapter 8. And that's what we're going to read today. If you can see the screens, you can read along with me. If you can't, you can pull out your phone and the app. 
where you can just listen to this beautiful voice <laughs> that I serenade Heather with every night. Man, I had so many jokes that I could have keep going with, but stop. <laughs> Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It reads, On that day, the day that Stephen was killed, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. See, the church comes under attack. And what happens when persecution starts with the church? See, the, it says that the church gets forced to scatter everywhere. They start going all around Judea, all around Samaria. They start going to different cities. And what happens when they scatter is they don't go into hiding. They don't say, uh-oh, like we are under attack. We better get out of here. We better go. Let's hide me in this home. Hide me in that home. Bring me in the basement. Put a blanket over me when they come looking for me. No, what they do when they go and they scatter to all the cities in verse 4, it says this. Those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They preached everywhere they went. The persecution doesn't stop the church. It emboldens them to preach the gospel in different cities. Now, the author of Acts, who is Luke, he picks up the story of one of these disciples as they begin to go out and they scatter all around the region. And you see that they're preaching the gospel. Luke picks out one disciple. His name is Philip. And he shows what happens in one of the cities that Philip goes to. And that's what we were reading as we continue in Acts chapter 8. But I want to read what happens again. Because as Philip goes into Samaria, something beautiful happens when he goes and he preaches. It says in verse 5. And I'll listen to what happens as Philip goes. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For which shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Philip goes to Samaria, a city in Samaria, and he brings with him not only the good news of the kingdom of God, but he brings the actual kingdom of God with him. See, when Jesus resurrected, it launched an offensive against the kingdom of darkness. A lot of people see the resurrection as an end point, but really the resurrection was a starting point. It was the starting point of God's kingdom now invading the earth in a powerful and new way where it would no longer be centralized in a region, but it would invade to every corner of the earth. Jesus was beginning an offensive where he would now take 
over the earth. Everything that was taken by darkness. And what he does is he gives his disciples all the power that they need as they go out and they proclaim the kingdom of God. Because Paul says elsewhere, the kingdom of God is not just in words, but in power. In Acts 1-8, Jesus says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So Philip goes out. He's not defeated. He's not sad, but he runs to this town and he begins to preach the gospel, invigorated to bring the kingdom of heaven with him to Samaria. Do you know what happens when you go into enemy territory and you begin to conquer? What happens? When you conquer ground from the territory of an enemy, that enemy has no choice but to flee. So what happens when Philip comes? It says the demons shriek and they leave. It says the sick are healed. It says joy comes upon the city that he's preaching in. See, all of these things are marks of the kingdom of God entering into the city. When Jesus stood up to begin his proclamation of the good news One of the first things he does, we see it in Luke. He goes into the synagogue, he opens up the scroll to the scroll of Isaiah, and he makes this proclamation in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, when Philip goes into the city, what he's doing is he is bringing the kingdom of God with him, just as Jesus said was his job to proclaim the kingdom of God. That all the unclean spirits have to leave. The sickness has to go. The joy of the Lord comes. The favor of God comes upon this place. These are the marks of the kingdom of God. Now from the very beginning, the enemy begins to lose territory. And as the disciples start to go out into these different towns, they begin to preach the gospel. And the kingdom of God comes with them every single single place that they go. Now when Jesus says the spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's the same spirit that he promises the disciples in Acts chapter 1-8, which is now the same spirit, the same power, and the same mission that he gives the disciples that Jesus was proclaiming that he had is now on us. Church, this is what we are called to do. With that same power, with that same spirit, we have that same exact mission. Do you understand that your mission is not to make it to heaven? Christians get this twisted all the time. Your mission is not to make it to heaven. Your mission is to bring heaven down. That is what we are called to do. We are not to sit complacently every Sunday waiting to be with God. Like, oh, I just can't wait to be with God. I can't wait to be with God. I can't wait. That is not what we are called to be. That is not what we are called to do. We are called in Scripture temples of God. 
See, the scripture says that he will make his residence in people's hearts, not in the buildings. Do you know what the, te- the purpose of the temple in the Old Testament was? The purpose of the, of the temple in the Old Testament, this was the one place on earth where heaven and earth touched. This is the, the one place where there was a joining of earth and heaven. This is the purpose of the temple, to bring heaven down to earth. This is where God resided. This is where the fullness of God's presence was. This is where the heavens opened up and touched the earth. Where heaven and earth meet. That is the place where God's presence resides. But now, now that meeting place of heaven and earth is not a building. See, that meeting place of heaven and earth is you, is us. See, the temple of God, we are walking temples, which means everywhere that we go, everywhere that we tread, heaven is meeting earth wherever we go. When we are in our house, heaven and earth are met together in our home. When we are at our job, heaven and earth are met in our job. When we are in this building, heaven is meeting earth right now in this building, in this very place. Because the church, the body of Christ, the temple of the living God is present. We are supposed to bring heaven all around us. What did Jesus pray when the disciples said, teach me to pray? He prayed this, on earth as it is in heaven. He did not pray away from earth into heaven. See, we have this stuff in our heads. God, get me out of this place. I can't wait to go to heaven. But we forget what we don't realize. That see, our job is to bring heaven here. To bring heaven now. We get so caught up in escapism at times that we don't remember what Jesus prayed. That we would bring heaven here to earth. He didn't tell the disciples just every night before you go to sleep, away from earth into heaven. I can't wait, Lord. Take me away from the earth. Bring me to heaven. We aren't supposed to sit in buildings to be blessed every week. We are supposed to go to war with all the power of God behind us. Every place we go, every person that comes to know Jesus Christ is us reclaiming the earth for God. Is us saying the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness has no power over this place, has no power over us. Because with me comes the very presence, the very kingdom of God, heaven. Heaven is the place where there is no rebellion against God. We are supposed to be reclaiming this earth for God and joining in in the renewal of all things, the renewal of this place that we call home. Jesus said to his disciples, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Let me tell you something. If we are at the gates of hell, that is not a defensive position. 
When you go and you siege a town, what do you do? You try to break open the gates so that you can invade that city. The church is not supposed to be on the defense. The church is supposed to be launching the offensive against the kingdom of hell, against the powers of darkness. The church is supposed to be the ones bringing the fight to them. So many times we are scared of the fight that the enemy is bringing to us. But I'm telling you, church, we are supposed to be the ones that when we walk into the town, the demons shriek. Come on, Stephanie is coming. Sherelle is coming. Taylor is coming. We got to get out of this place. Because Zion is claiming new territory for the kingdom of God now. When we walk into a room, I don't care what spirits are there. I don't care what darkness you feel. I don't care what has taunted you at night in your home. I don't care what you have sensed in your job. I don't care what you have said that this is the reason I feel this way. Church, we are not a defeated church. I'm tired of us acting like a defeated church. Like, oh man, the enemy is at it again. I don't know if I'm going to make it this time. Guess what? The enemy has no power over you. You are the one that God gave power over him. To trample over him. To walk into a place and carry heaven with you so that everything that rebels against God must flee from that place. And say, we cannot live here anymore. Because the kingdom of heaven has entered into the territory. The kingdom of heaven has come. So often we look so down, we act so down because we're so scared of the enemy. What's he going to do this time? What's going to happen now? I'm telling you, I'm... I'm guilty of this sometimes. I'll go through some rough time. I'm like, man, what else the enemy got? I don't know if I got anything left in me for this next, next round. But then I remember, man, the enemy, his best game is mind games. Because all he wants to do is lie to you. So you forget who you are. So you forget the power that resides in you. So you forget the resurrection of Jesus that has conquered sin and death once and for all. That when Jesus rose from the, ed, from the dead, all the power of darkness at that point went, uh-oh. What did we just do? What, when, when, when we killed him, we thought we were good. But when he rose from the dead, what did we just do? We carry the weight and the presence of God. The power of heaven everywhere we go. The church will only be defeated when we forget who we are. Do you get that? That we can only be defeated when we forget. See, when we forget what the word says about us, we lose our sword. We lose our weapon of war. We lose the very thing that God has given us to 
to fight the enemy with that when he comes with his lies, when he comes with his temptation, when he tries to make his power seem greater. And then what we do is we can take that sword. We remember scripture. We say, "Uh uh-uh. I know my job. I know where you land. I know where you go. You are under my feet. You go right here, buddy. That's the only place I'm allowing you next to my body is under the heel of my foot because that's the only place where you belong. See, I believe that what God was doing in Acts 8 is what he's doing in our church right now. Let me tell you some things that I believe God is doing. Church, I don't think we were on mission for the last year. You know, when we did our baptism, our first baptism, we saw 23 people get baptized. Our last baptism, when we did it at the school, we saw one person get baptized. I think we were not on mission. God had to shake us up to remind us of what we were called to do. God had to scatter us. See, God has put our church in the place it is in now. I 100% wholeheartedly believe that. Just like God allowed the persecution so that the church would scatter, I believe God put us in the place that we are in now. It is not something to complain about, but an opportunity to see the kingdom of God move forward in ways that we could not imagine. Do you know if the persecution never came on the church, Philip would have never went to that city in Samaria and those demons would have been comfortable to live in those people that they were living in. The kingdom of God would not have come to that city. Joy would not have come and resided in that place. I believe God has scattered us and sent us into all the corners of New York City. See, church, what, what is happening now is what happened then. We are bringing God's kingdom into places that we could not or would not have brought it for years. Some of the places that I think about right now. Queens. Queens crew? That was a little light. I was expecting a little more. Y'all go hard everywhere else. Let me see. Staten Island? Queens, Staten Island, Bath Beach, Flatbush. Like these are places that I was dreaming of at night to start churches and plant in. And I would think, God, how is it going to happen 15, 20 years? That drives me crazy. They need churches now. They need the kingdom of God now. So God has scattered us so that we can bring the kingdom of God to places that we were not bringing it before. We are truly fighting like never before and prayer is the key. See, if you wonder, how did the disciples get thrown in jail? You see that all in Acts, yet preach with more vigor. How does that happen? That you go go to prison and then you become more emboldened. This wasn't like prison, like protest prison nowadays. This was, you're getting beaten, you may die, you get no food. This is prison. This is bad. How is it that someone dies 
then the church starts preaching more and in more places. How is that possible? That literally, this guy is, just imagine someone standing up in Union Square, as they always do, and gets stoned to death because he's preaching the gospel. Let me tell you, I'm not going to preach in Union Square after that. <laughs> it's not like, oh yeah, number one on my list, let me go to that spot and preach the gospel. No, but they, they think, yeah, let's preach more. And in more places. How does that happen? How do these people walk into towns and people get healed, demons flee, and the kingdom of God comes? How does that happen? Well, we see actually in Acts chapter 4 the key to how that happens. It's the first time some of the apostles get thrown in prison. They get released, and then this, is ha this happens. We you can read on the screens, Acts chapter 4, verse 23. It says this. When they were released, released from prison, they just had come out of jail, some of the apostles. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They basically said, you ever do this again and something bad is going to happen. Right? They threatened them. Verse 24, and when they heard it, their response, this is the response after they were threatened and put in jail. They lifted their voices to God and said, this means they prayed, church. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, but Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of, of, of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they pray this prayer. And then what is God's response? God responds immediately to them in verse 31 and says, and when they had prayed the holy the, and the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. See, God's response to their prayer after being persecuted and threatened was a Holy Spirit infilling of the church. And with that infilling came a boldness to preach the gospel and even die sometimes like Stephen did. Not, see, what God didn't do is he didn't restore the balance and comfort for the church. That wasn't even what they were praying for. They didn't say, God, take it away so we never go to jail again. God, make our lives comfortable again. They prayed and said, God, give us boldness. And God's response is, I'm sending my spirit upon you to fill you up. And with it is coming all the boldness, all the courage that you need to preach the gospel. In Mark 9, some of the disciples couldn't cast out a demon. And they asked Jesus, why is that happening? Why won't this demon come out? And Jesus said, these kind only come out with prayer and fasting. <coughs> See, being like Philip and the early church is going to require a prayer life like Philip and the early church. Come on, you should have been amen, but that hurt a little too much. See, being like Philip 
And the power that he brought with him is going to require prayer like Philip. It's going to require prayer like the early church where they prayed throughout their entire day. They prayed in the morning. They prayed in the middle of the day. They prayed at night. And they came to God for everything that they needed. So many of us are struggling, fighting for our life, but we're drowning and we wonder why. And the reason is because we have not opened our mouth daily to pray and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have waited for a Sunday to be filled. And that, you know what that is? That's escapism. Let me escape my home. Let me escape my, my job. Let me escape my surroundings so I can go to a place where heaven and earth will meet instead of heaven and earth are meeting right now in my prayer time in my home. Heaven and earth are meeting right now in my work as I take my lunch and I pray. I remember one time somebody made fun of me because I kept telling, like the person kept asking me, what should I do for this? What should I do for this? And I kept saying, pray. And they're like, Justin, is that the only thing that you will say? And I said, until you start doing it, I'm going to keep saying it. <laughs> because you are trying everything else except for the one thing that I have seen time and time again solve all the things that I have been going through. Have you prayed? See, the enemy keeps doing things that he thinks will kill the kingdom of God. But those things only keep making the church stronger. See, when the enemy killed Jesus, when they, Jesus was unjustly murdered at the hands of the Roman Empire, the enemy thought, oh, we are good. You think the enemy would have killed Jesus if they knew what was coming next? No. But then what happens? Jesus, he really turned that one around. He raises from the dead and inaugurates an invasion of the kingdom of darkness that has continued to this day. That is saying, I am reclaiming the earth. It is mine. Jesus has not left us. God has not walked away from the earth. Instead, we have walked away from him. But he said, I want you back. I want this place that I created and I made. So I'm sending my only son. Jesus says this parable. And the Gospels, it's one of my favorites. It's, he's, there's people tending the vineyard of an owner. And the owner has a message to say to the people tending the vineyard. And so he sends a servant to go collect what is his. And they, kill the, they, they threaten the servant. And he sends another one. They threaten that one. And then finally, he says, okay, I'm going to send my son, the owner, because he's my son. And what do they do? They kill the son. Jesus has sent servant after servant, the, pro the, pro the prophets of old. And what happens? God's people constantly rejected them, pushed them away. And he finally, he sends his own son. And what do we do? We kill him. But the story does not end there. Jesus is desperately looking for us. He wants us. God has not abandoned us. We have abandoned him and got mad at him for it. But we have abandoned him and he said, even though you have rejected me, I will give you all that you need to restore your life. And then you will go out, preach the gospel and help others restore theirs. The enemy started the persecution of the church. This will shut them up. No, it won't. What did it do? It scattered them and propagated the kingdom of God everywhere that they went. 
See, my prayer is let stripping us of our house of worship be another thing that the enemy was wrong about. Amen. That this would not be something that hurts us, that this would not be something that makes us shrink back, but let it be something that allows us to bring heaven to new neighborhoods, to new homes, to new blocks, and to new people groups that would have never been reached before. God, press us like the early church. That our fruit would shine greater than it would have ever had before. That no building would have been able to contain or to hold. I don't want the comforts of this world. I don't want the things to go back to normal. I want a new prayer life. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit every single day. And I want our church to be filled with boldness to proclaim the goodness of God. That we would be a people who bring heaven everywhere we go. Can you stand with me?